0: This week, when Kelly's parents quit their jobs, uprooted their family, and immigrated to the South to follow their cult—sorry, I mean church leaders—they had no way of knowing the impact it would have on their daughter. Kelly's teenage rebellion was made worse by the overt religious hypocrisy she saw every day of her life. And when she met Drew, who was also rebelling, it was like putting gas on the fire. Welcome to My Crazy Divorce. I'm a failure as a husband, I'm a failure as a man.
1: It's just, I'm beautiful and I'm bright and I deserve better.
0: It's a great day, I'm feeling good, oh, the possibilities of what I could, oh, do with the world at my fingertips, my imagination brings a smile up to my lips, oh. Hey everyone and welcome to My Crazy Divorce. I'm your host, Tom Milligan. As most of you know, I spent the better part of my life in a very religious family, city, and culture. And while I don't practice religion anymore, I still find it fascinating. Normally, I ask the guest every week how religion impacted their lives, especially when they were younger. Well, I didn't even have to ask that question this week, since both Kelly's and Drew's parents belong to the same cult. I I mean, church. Trust me. This is a crazy story right from the start. All right, time for the disclaimer. Don't ever forget that I'm not an attorney or a therapist, so nothing on this show should ever be mistaken or construed to be legal or therapeutic advice. Please seek out an actual professional if you need that type of support. Now, another quick warning before we get to the interview. When you saw the title of this episode as Sid and Nancy... If you didn't instantly have a picture in your head of Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, you should probably pause the show and Google Sid and Nancy, just so you won't be too lost when it comes up in the interview. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing a picture of them right now. Just know that Sid Vicious was the bass player for the British punk band The Sex Pistols. Nancy was Sid's girlfriend. A movie about their life together was called Sid and Nancy, and it was released in 1986. It's a sad and crazy story. And with that picture and background in place, let's get right to the crazy. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to hear the story today.
1: Well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. This is going to be a lot of fun. So let's just get started like we always do and uh, figure out where did Kelly come from? What, you know, where are you from? Tell us about your family, okay. all that.
1: Well, I was born in Michigan and i am the oldest of six the oldest daughter of six siblings i have an older brother and then it's me and then i have a younger brother a sister and two younger brothers so i was kind of the mom of the group per se childhood in michigan was really fun from my memories and we had a great time we lived on a lot of land and we all ran around and did kid things but in 1976 of course, being six years old and being very naive, I had no idea, you know, what relocation meant or moving. I just knew that all of a sudden we were being packed up and we were going to this place called South Carolina. A little six-year-old don't even know yeah, no states or anything. So, yeah, I we ended up coming to South Carolina in nineteen seventy, yeah, nineteen seventy-six. I'm second guessing myself. Yeah. Yeah. 1976, Kelly. And the whole reason for the move was because my mom and dad were following this minister called oh. Jim Baker.
0: Wait, it like, is this a praise the Lord, Jim Baker?
1: Praise the Lord, Jim Baker and Tammy, Tammy Faye, Faye and, and Jim. Oh, yeah. no.
0: This is, we're, we're, what, two minutes in? I'm already excited. This is great.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's once I, once we got to South Carolina, things for my childhood got really kind of crazy and hectic. And my mom and dad were immersed in this this ministry and being a part of this whole like Jim Baker thing. And I found myself just kind of confused, to say the least. It was very confused. And we kept hopping around from place to place because we didn't have like a home. And so we were living in a little one bedroom. I don't even want a motel hotel wasn't a hotel it was like a motel a little strip motel we lived in that for a really long time i remember like my mom cooking spaghettios on like a plug-in burner and we did that Holy. for a really long time and i just remember everybody just in one room and feeling kind of uncomfortable and it was just like what's going on then they moved us to a trailer and uh, the trailer was falling apart at the seams like the toilet was halfway through the floor it was awful And this is when I began to realize that I was in a different world. People were using words that I did not know what, hey to me was, hey, that you fed a horse. So, hey, y'all, and things like that was just fixing. And all those Southern things were, was really confusing to me. I remember (laughs) just being a little girl and being so confused. But anyways, we made it, made it through. And my mom and dad wanted to put me in private school because Jim and Tammy Baker had a private school. Right. Or for the people of the ministry. So I don't know why my mom and dad selected me to be the one that went, but I was selected out of all of us four kids. At this point, my little brothers weren't born. So I ended up going to school at PTL. And as my mom and dad, as the years kind of progressed, I was in PTL school and then I was taken out and then I would be put back in and I was taken out. And it for, was like- Was it
0: financial reasons or what? Yes. Is that, oh, Okay.
1: Yeah, like they couldn't afford a tuition, I had to go. And so that was really hard on me because I was going to a being thrown back into the public school. And they are the locals around here weren't too fond of PTL people, they kind of this big, they would say cult so kind mm-hmm. of moved into their area. And I was one of those kids. And so I got really picked on in school. And I just remember, I wanted to go back to PTL school. That was where I was comfortable because those kids were like me. They Mm -hmm. were from all over the world. Their parents had done the same thing my parents had done, which just uprooted their lives and brought them to this thing called PTL. And so that's, I really wanted to stay in in that school. But again, I just kept getting thrown back and forth. And this went on for several years. And By the time I hit high school, I was extremely bullied to the point where what happened now probably in today's society is it would be probably over the internet or things like that, but we didn't have phones and stuff. So it was just like physical bullying. And so I would get to school and I'd get cornered. I was just terrified. I really was. I was depressed. I was scared. I was anxious. And so I remember just going into my mom's room one morning and I said, I can't go to school anymore i'm quitting and this was like right at the beginning of 10th grade and wow. she was like get she's like get a job
0: oh wow your bullies are they boys yep. or girls or both they were girls okay so the girls are bullying you and your parents they followed jim and tammy Faye, or not followed necessarily but they immigrated if you will to mm-hmm. south carolina to follow them or were they weren't employed by ptl they just yes. wanted to Oh, they were employed by PTL. Yeah,
1: they were. My dad had a really good job in Michigan. He was actually working for Hydramatics, which was an extension of GM. And he was set for retirement at 35. And so they oh, wow. just he just dropped his job and followed God in his heart to South Carolina. And he ended up getting a job as like a maintenance guy. And my mom ended up being like a tour guide. So yeah, they both worked for Jim Baker.
0: Did you ever meet Jim and Tammy Faye?
1: Yes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I went to school with Tammy Sue, which is, she, she's my age, born in 1970. So we were friends. I got to hang out with her quite often and go over to their house. And so if you see all the movies and stuff, you know, that when they, they show the house on the lake and things like that. Yeah. I was in that house.
0: Well, that's fascinating. We're going to have to have a lot more conversations about that. If if this podcast were about Praise the Lord Ministries, (laughs) we, we would talk more about that. But okay, so now my questions are answered. Okay, keep going with the story.
1: Yeah, so anyways, I quit school, and I did go get a job. And in fact, at this point, things in my childhood were really bad. And my mom and dad were they had fallen down the rabbit hole. And again, if we were talking about PTL, then I could go into more detail on why that happened. But things with my childhood were just not good. It wasn't healthy. I it, I had to go. And so I quit school and I moved out and I moved in with a friend. And they were, again, they were PTL people, but they were from California. So that's really kind of how I met my husband.
0: Wow, that's Okay, I'm still just blown away by this. I and by the way, if anybody's wondering about how much con- how much conversation I have with guests before the show, this is telling you right now because we <laughs> this is all brand new to me. So so we're going to get to it. We're going to call your ex-husband. We're calling him Drew, but before we talked about how you meet Drew, let's okay. figure out a little bit about him. So you're the second oldest of six kids. Tell us about Drew's family.
1: Well, he was the oldest son of three. So he it was Drew, and then he has two younger sisters. Okay. And I met him through the exact same reason that I was in South Carolina. His parents uprooted everything. It was years later. Oh. I came in 1976. They came in 1980-something. So mm-hmm. it was quite a, it was a decade later almost. But yeah, he was from California, and he was raised in... Modesto. And he he told he'll tell you that he had to pull out a map and look to see where South Carolina
0: was.
1: (laughs) He didn't even know he was 15 when they relocated out to South Carolina. So that's kind of his backstory. He was just from he was a surfer, he rode skateboard, just kind of the normal Southern California kind of kind of kid that you would you see in the movies.
0: So in every episode so far, I've always asked the guests, what kind of role did religion play? I don't even need to ask you that. But I guess my question is about your personal feelings about the whole religion, the PTL, that kind of thing. Were you, as you grew up, was it just, this is how life is? Or did you think it was the right thing?
1: Well, I always, I think I always questioned Christianity. And the reason I questioned it was because although I was raised in what was considered like a Pentecostal upbringing, they spoke in tongues and they raised and worshiped and fell out in the spirit and all those kinds of things. What was being taught to me and then what I was seeing live out at home was a complete contradictory of the Bible and Jesus and Christ and all that. So I was a little bit conflicted really truly about religion kind of from a very young age. I questioned it. What
0: do you mean by you saw contradictions? Did your parents not live by the right Christianity or uh, tell us about that?
1: Yeah, they were doing drugs, they were drinking, they were having affairs. You just name it and it was going on. And so Wait, so your
0: parents dropped their good job back in Michigan to follow Jim and Tammy Faye, to follow the Lord. But while they're following the Lord, they're sleeping around doing drugs and everything else. Yeah. Did they think that following Jim and Tammy Faye was going to cancel out all the other stuff?
1: I think that it was the culture of PTL. Really? A lot of that was going on in a lot of different households. I'm not going to, I don't want to broad stroke this and say everybody at PTL, but from what I was seeing, and some of the friends and the people I was hanging around, it was just it was happening.
0: So it was relatively commonplace. Interesting. So yeah. that gave you a pretty jaded view.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: might be the right way to say that of Christianity or and religion in general.
1: Yeah, it did. You and know, how even about your- Drew? Yeah, he was. So his mom and dad were. They were very complete opposite. They oh. were holding. Bible study at their house. They were bringing people who were coming to PTL because there were so many people like literally like flocking to this area and doing what my mom and dad did, just coming on blind faith. And so they would host people in their home. And so their home was always full, filled with somebody that was transitioning. They were hosting the Bible studies and things like that. So from his perspective, they were doing the Lord's work where over here, my mom and dad were doing other stuff. (laughs) Right. And I think Drew was really angry because he was that 15 year old kid who just got ripped away from what was everything he knew, his high school friends and getting Mm -hmm. ready to go into that golden age. And he really rebelled and was resentful for being brought to South Carolina.
0: Oh, interesting. So by the way, is he older than you? Or are you about the same age?
1: He's just one year older.
0: Oh okay, about the same. That's yeah. So so you guys are 15, 14, 15, 16 years old. He's ripped mm-hmm. out of his high school, which what a horrible time to to be ripped up or ripped out of your life. Uproving. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's the mm-hmm. word I was looking for. And he makes it out to South Carolina and so his parents they were doing the right thing, all the Bible schools and all that kind of stuff, but was he into it or was he like this i hate this ptl thing because it ripped me out of or it uprooted me
1: yeah when i met drew he was this mohawk wearing peer, ear oh, wow. piercing pot smoking black trench coat rebellious kid got it yeah he was he hated his parents for what they did so he was doing everything in his power to rebel against the religion and the christianity he hated it
0: okay wow Did you rebel or were you just, when you went to go live with that friend, was it more Mm -hmm. of a, I'm not rebelling, I'm just demonstrating or were you rebelling?
1: Yeah, I think I just, I was just looking for something that I could hold on to. And I'm not even sure how to describe the feeling. I just knew I couldn't be there anymore. Mm -hmm. And so anywhere was better than there. And so when I met Drew and he was the same kind of way, he just wanted to kind of get a, he wanted out. He didn't want to live with his parents. He didn't want to be a part of all the people that were coming in and out of his house. And so I i was 15, he was 16. And yeah, we just kind of Sid and nancy ran, <laughs> got together. <laughs> <laughs> we just kind of clung to each other and being kids, we ran around, did kid stuff. And we had a, we had our group of friends and so that's kind of how things started with Drew and I.
0: Okay. So so you're 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. You're staying at a friend's house. He's rebelling against mom and dad. So do you remember your first meeting? I do. How'd that but happen?
1: Very clearly. We were going to the beach, me and a group of friends. We were. My friend had got her mom's car. And so we lived pretty close to Myrtle Beach. And we were on the way to go to Myrtle Beach. Well, as fate would have it, mom needed something from that car. And so my friend had to go over to meet her mother. And that just was the night that I met Drew because mom was staying with Drew's parents. Okay. That's how we met. And I remember they were having the Bible study inside and I I was kind of annoyed, like, let's just go. I want to go and waited outside. And of course I was lighting up cigarettes and my friend Christy, she's like, Kelly, you can't be smoking out here. They're inside doing Bible study. And I'm like, I don't give a." And so I lit my cigarette up. And, and Drew, he was out there with kind of his group of friends. And so it was just kind of like this cool, casual, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? And so we ended up getting ready to go. We went to the beach. But when we got back, we were bored one night. We were like, well, what are those guys doing? We, we wanted to go hang out with the guys again. Because Drew was not kind of, he wasn't home a lot. He always was staying with friends and stuff. So we went and found we went and found them. And then kind of the rest was history. We were always together from that point forward.
0: So you, you were young, 15, 16 years old when you met. Yeah. And by the way, this sounds like every 80s rom-com. You're sitting out smoking, and hey, what's up? I know.
1: What's up? <laughs> and he'll tell you that the first, he loved to tell this story throughout our years together, that he thought I was a bitch when, we, when he met me. Because <laughs> I just was disrespectful by smoking that cigarette, even though he smoked too. It was... Yeah, he was just, he was so, he was too cool, but and ended up working out well.
0: Wow, that is that is really, that's a great story. I'm really glad we got into that. So you're dating, you're young, you're still really young, but you're together. Is, mm-hmm. Did it become, and again, I don't know, we haven't really talked about any dating yet, but did it become like an exclusive dating relationship or was it more of a hanging out, mutual disrespect for authority situation?
1: Yeah, I was 15 and it was just kind of in the beginning, just we were hanging out. We we were definitely, everybody knew we were together. We, we would kiss and we would stay longer than anybody else together. But I don't think the official dating happened until I turned 16 in that summer of 1986. My parents ended up getting A place in New Jersey, and I don't want to go into that whole story, but my dad at this point did not work for PTL and he was now working for a pool company out of California and they built water parks. So he was jumping around all the time doing water parks all over the world. And this water park just so happened to be in New Jersey, and we were going to get to go the whole summer, but they had this really cool place and they asked me if I wanted to go. And I'm like, hell yeah. And so here I am 16. I go have the best summer of my entire life to this day. It was 1986 in Wildwood, New Jersey was the best summer I have ever had in my whole life. <laughs> and yeah, Drew kind of drifted away. And we didn't, again, have cell phones or anything like that. So I, we wrote letters back and forth to each other. Lots wow. of letters that summer. And I got word through the grapevine that he was dating the girl up the street, Angie, and I was just crushed. I was absolutely crushed. He didn't tell you
0: that. You just heard it from someone else.
1: I had heard it from his sister.
0: His sister had
1: wrote me a letter and told me. And so, yeah, I was just heartbroken because, and that's when I realized, oh, I love this guy or this is, I guess what it feels like. Uh So yeah, I, we came back home because we still had home base with South Carolina and my mom had to come drive home from New Jersey to check on something here at the house. And I came with her and I didn't go back. Oh. And I waltzed. Yeah, I got a. I I remember getting a ride over to his house. I knocked on the door. I walked in. He was in his bedroom and he was sitting down there in his bed. And I said, I'm back and you're going to break up with Angie tomorrow and you're going to marry me. And that's exactly what he did. Really, yes.
0: Okay, so did he know you were coming home at all? No. So you literally just—he—he didn't know you were coming into his house or his room or anything.
1: No. I'm, wow. It, again, you go, Kelly. I just—I knew what I wanted, and I wanted to be with him, and so I made that decision right there in the spot. There was not going to be any change in his mind or changing my mind, and I was hoping I was going to be able to change his mind, and it didn't that he was like, I'll break up with her tomorrow. And so we, that was it. I took great <laughs> pleasure by the way, in sitting in the window and watching him break up with her in the backyard as she sobbed and cried. And yeah, I, d- I know I said, I take great pleasure in that, but in in my 16 year old mind, I did.
0: Right. I yeah. was like, well, you know, you're 16.
1: Lo- yeah. I'm like, and he, he loves me that same way. He's doing this. Like he's just dumping her. And he wants to be with me so that's why i felt it was just he felt that way i felt that way we're meant to be no hesitation which makes perfect
0: sense as a 16 year old
1: yeah exactly as a 16 year old
0: yeah so he broke up with angie he called her up and said come over to my house is that where it happened in there in his backyard
1: yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) okay so
0: you say break up with angie tomorrow and we're getting, and you're going to marry me. So, so Mm -hmm. far, step one, he broke up with Angie. Let's take it from there.
1: How do we get to step two? (laughs) So step two was like, we wanted to be together and we didn't want to, we didn't want to live there at his parents' house and we really didn't have a whole lot of choices. And so I think we just kind of, I want to say for almost a year, we just kind of bounced around. I don't know how to explain it. And sometimes we would stay at his parents' house Sometimes I could get to, get to go home and stay at my house. And sometimes we stay with friends. It was just, we just bounced around. And after about a year of doing that, my dad now had a new job, a new water park. And he was in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And again, they were like, do you want to come? And I was like, I'm not coming without Drew. And my dad was like, well, bring Drew with you and I'll put him to work. So off we went to Pennsylvania where Drew, you know, worked with my dad. We stayed in the apartment or whatever it was that they had condo while, you know, my dad was building this water park. He Drew was in my brother's room and I was with my sister. So we were separated. We weren't allowed to bunk up together, but he was there in the house and working every day and yeah, so that's kind of how that happened.
0: So when Drew broke up with Angie and you guys are now an item, you're dating, you guys are together, were your parents immediately accepting of this?
1: Oh, honestly, I wish I could. I wish I could tell you this story got easier with my parents, but things got weirder in terms of religion because now they're living in Pennsylvania, so they've hooked up with this prophet because they had to have a place to go to church, and so they found this prophet person who. Carried tinfoil in his pocket because he was convinced the world was getting ready to end at any moment, and he would be left to survive. And so he had like a rubber band and a, and a piece of foil, and, and he was just the strangest, weirdest weirdo. Yeah, I'm not joking. This is a true story, and he loved to pull it out of his pocket every time he saw him, and brag about it. He was gonna, de- he was going to purify his pee. And drink it with this tinfoil and whatever. Like I'm serious. He had a whole story, and this was where my parents were going to church. <laughs> oh they were prophets. I,
0: uh, well, of course they are.
1: They were prophets, uh, Kelly.
0: Anybody, everyone who's a prophet carries foil and rubber bands to purify yes. their urine.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's they, how I'm you know you, it was an entire. It was an entire <laughs> thing, and so they held church. They held up this cult. I want to call it because, in my opinion, got things were they got it got super weird in in Pennsylvania and they were going to this person's basement and all these people were just showing up and they were all thinking the same way and selling weird product it was just fucking bizarre so <laughs> my mom and dad were just pretty much my mom especially she was kind of immersed in this whole thing my dad was working we just kind of ran and did what we wanted we didn't really focus so to ask my parents what were they thinking or whatever they did they weren't they were just Again, they were so immersed in this, in their own little world that it didn't matter what we were doing.
0: So you said to your parents back in the early, the early days of PTL, when they were first in South Carolina, that they were, that there were affairs and I assume your parents were part of that or you wouldn't have brought it up, but also the drugs that you mentioned at this stage, they've left PTL, you're quote living in in Pennsylvania, at least for a short period of time, were they still doing drugs?
1: Well, when I say drugs, I, it was marijuana. And to me, that oh. was a big deal. It was a yeah. really big deal because that was so preached against as being wrong. And if there was other drugs, I'm unaware of that. There could have been other drugs involved, but I was very aware of the marijuana. And yeah, that was still happening in Pennsylvania. And my dad was more of an alcoholic than he was anything. And so he numbed himself out with by just drinking himself almost to death. And so this was... I think things had gotten, had eased up a little bit in that department, but it was still kind of, yeah, it was still kind of happening.
0: Okay. It just sounds like, I'm sorry, following a prophet that carries foil and rubber bands and all that kind of stuff sounds like something that would come after an LSD hit or something. So that's why I asked that question.
1: Yeah. I have to throw this in. The two younger brothers are born.
0: Right. Right.
1: My dad's had a vasectomy after my youngest sister. So go ahead and figure that one out. Put those, put that together in your head. So that had already happened. And I think the little boys being born in the way that it happened, my mom had kind of calmed down, I think, a little bit. So she was now mothering these very young boys. And I'm a teenager and I have little brothers who are two and three.
0: So you're saying that your dad's not the father of your brother's. Yeah. Is that yep. just your opinion? I know, Nickly. Oh, no, Nickley... no it's, just, they
1: know it. it's they know it. They know it. Everybody knows it. It's no longer a secret. Okay. It was a secret for years and years, but no longer a secret. And uh, and
0: who is the father? Do we know? Yeah, we know. Okay.
1: Yeah. Wow. And it, yeah. So, I, that also I think added to me wanting to just get away.
0: Yeah, that's a tough one.
1: It was just everything, again, about Christianity was being was just out the window. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So do as Jim says and not as Jim does or mom and dad say. Yeah. Or do, whatever it is. All right. Wow. And by the way, if you've listened to the show, I grew up Mormon and a lot of people think that Mormonism is a cult. I don't necessarily disagree 100%, but... It's certainly not, at least not anymore, the same. We talk about people going to South Carolina and following Jim and Tammy Faye, and we go, oh my gosh, who would do that? Well, how about the tens of thousands of Mormons in the 1800s who literally got on boats for months at a time to come from England and all Uh over the world going to Salt Lake City, Utah? That place is hot and dry and awful, and yet they flocked there to follow their prophet, Mm -hmm. and to my knowledge, Joseph Smith didn't carry foil and rubber bands, but <laughs> he had his own <laughs> issues.
1: You know, religion's not corrupt. People are corrupt. And so right. that ends up corrupting ideas and things like that. So I definitely had a corrupt idea of what religion was looking like and what I thought life should be.
0: Right. Yeah, I get it. Wow. Well, Okay. So you're in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and you're bunking with your sister, and Drew mm-hmm. is bunking with your brother.
1: Yeah, so that's what we, that's where we were, and we wanted to be together. We were tired of being told we couldn't sleep in the same room and stuff. So we were like, "Well, let's get married." And he did ask me to marry him. Just so everybody knows, like he <laughs> went and bought me a ring and proposed and all that kind of stuff. So we. Wanted to just go do it. And so I was 17 and Mm -hmm. I told my mom and dad, like, I want to get married. And so they said, well, okay. And they took me down to the courthouse and signed me off so that I could get married underage.
0: Wow. So you dropped out of high school a couple of years before this. So you never graduated from high school or maybe you have since. At this stage of the story, you hadn't graduated from high school. Correct. Did he? So we've no. got two. This really is Sid and Nancy. Yeah. So you've got two <laughs> high school dropouts and mom and dad not only are okay with it, but they're so okay with it. They're willing to allow you to do it under. it. Yes. That is nuts. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no. I would never I allow
0: one of my kids to do that underage.
1: Thank you. I, my mom and myself are in therapy right now. I'm trying to walk through <laughs> some of our, I'm not kidding. I'm 51 and I finally am in therapy with my mother after all these years, because I'm probably wise. Yeah. So yeah, they just, they, (laughs) and my mom will tell you there was no stopping you. Well, yeah, I was a kid. You could have stopped me. There was lots of things you could have done, but at this point, the wrecking ball of of destruction had already happened so much that there was probably, there was no convincing. Yeah. I just don't think she cared. I don't know what really was going on in her mind to allow that, but she did
0: legally she did. The fact that she signed the papers, she could have said there's no stopping you. Well, you could have stopped me from getting married. Yeah. We could have run away together. Sure. But actual marriage, you actively participated in that happening, mom.
1: Yeah. And I'm positive that even if she wouldn't have signed me off, that I would have waited and the second I turned 18, we would have got married. So. We would have ended up married regardless, but it was reckless of her to allow that to happen. And it was reckless of her to let me drop out of high school and all those things. But we ran off, we got married. And when we were on our little honeymoon in the Poconos, because we went to the Caesar's Palace up there, if anybody knows all about that. <laughs> and we stayed in the heart-shaped tub room, you know, and we felt so grown up. Fancy. We were together. Yeah, we, yeah, it was just, that was our honeymoon. It was amazing. We got married at the courthouse, so there was no wedding. There was no reception, there was no party, there was no nothing. It was just, we went down in our regular clothes, signed a piece of paper, and boom, we hopped in our Jeep and we ran to the Poconos.
0: Did this happen while you were all in Pennsylvania or had you gone back to South Carolina by this point?
1: Nope, we were in Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. And how long were you in Pennsylvania?
1: We were up there for about a year.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. I was thinking more like a three-month thing like the New Jersey one. But no, this was a Mm full-on, this was there for a while. Yeah. So you get back from your honeymoon, and again, I don't mean to keep harping on this, but you've got two kids that don't have anything. Nothing. How did you live?
1: Well, he had always had a huge fascination with submarines. And so not having a high school diploma or anything like that, his... And, and he wasn't going to continue working for my dad. That job was wrapping up. His idea was like, let me join the Navy. He was of age. It was 18. So he was allowed or old enough to sign up. So I remember us going down to a Goodwill. My mom and dad were against this. I don't know why they were against this part, but we were, head, we were heading Right. All of a sudden now they care. But we went to a Goodwill. We bought some suitcases, came back, packed our suitcases and got on a Greyhound and went back to Charlotte. And at this point, Charlotte, North Carolina, his mom and dad let us come live with them. We were married. And he went right down to the recruiter's office and signed up. And next thing, he's off to boot camp.
0: Wow. And how long have you been married at this point? Just a few weeks?
1: couple months.
0: Okay. And so his parents are in North Carolina. So are they still following Jim and Tammy Faye?
1: Yes, they were. Okay. Yes.
0: So, but in North Carolina, not South Carolina.
1: If anybody looks at geography of this, North Carolina sits right on the border of South Carolina. And so the ministry was in the right over the border in South, but a lot of people live in Charlotte and just kind of commute. Their original headquarters was Charlotte, North Carolina, and then they found all that land in South Carolina and relocated. So yeah. Got it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was trying to remember, I watched a documentary about them just last year for some reason. And they were talking about how Jim had given away or not given away, but he needed cash. So he sold a whole bunch of lifetime memberships to the hotel and everything like that. But then he oversold the lifetime memberships.
1: Yeah. Tom, that's and a whole nother podcast.
0: I know. And we oh, could, yes. I, and I've been fascinated by PTL for my whole life for some reason. So we'll Just talk so again. so you know,
1: we're a lifetime member. Oh, are you? Oh, Yes. <laughs> I'm still alive, and I remember my mom and dad having a lifetime membership. So, we're... so
0: if they ever come out of bankruptcy, you got a place to stay.
1: That's right. We've paid our thousand dollars. <laughs> that's great.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. Okay, all right. So he's off to boot camp.
1: Yep, off to boot camp, and I'm staying with his parents at this point. And I find out while he's in boot camp that I'm pregnant. So we have a little baby on the way. That little period of my life kind of just feels like a forgotten memory. I have to really dig deep to try to remember that that time frame of my life. But fast forward just a little bit. He got out of boot camp. And at this point, I had the baby. So this is months and months (laughs) that he's away from me. This is kind of how our marriage started off on this foot.
0: Yeah, that's a tough he
1: just, one. He's just gone. And I was, again, living with my with his parents. And throughout the, pro- the these months that were going by because he went through the training, and then because he was in submarines, he had to go to Connecticut, and he had to go to sub-school. And so that was another bunch of months. And in the process, he was made to get his GED, so he went to school for that. So he was just gone. I had the baby. Um, I got into a huge fight with his parents. They kicked me out. So I ended up back at my mom and dad's house. With this baby, my baby. And at this point, I'm starting to get pissed. Yeah. Because now he's stationed. That's how long this has been. So maybe, I don't know, a year had gone by and I'm still not with my husband. Yeah. And he's got now state. He's literally stationed and he's living in barracks. And I'm having to go back and forth to Virginia to visit my husband. And. I just put my foot down one day and I was like, you have to bring us to you. You know, you, we, you have a family and I can't keep living with my mom. So again, I guess just me being who I am, I packed up a U-Haul with all of our, all of our shit. And I hauled our asses down to Virginia. And when he got, he was out to sea, I knew he was coming into sea. And I was on that pier waiting for him with that baby in the stroller when he got off that boat. And I said, find us a place to live. I'm not leaving.
0: Wow. So. You're breaking up with Angie and you're marrying me. That's just, it's,
1: <laughs> all over w- again.
0: When you make up your mind. So, did he know you were coming? Or, or no. is this another one of those ambush? Oh, shit. Here's Kelly.
1: Yeah, it's an uh, ambush.
0: Was he living in the barracks because he was trying to save cash? Did he just not want to be with you and the baby? What was the deal?
1: No, he, he was living <clears> his best. He was living all his best life by himself, being single. See, this is all stuff I found out later. Your wife and your baby's ambushing you. Yeah.
0: And yeah, holding I mean, you it accountable. I shouldn't have to be. Yeah.
1: Hold, holding you accountable. He was partying. He was going to concerts. He was lying to me because we didn't, he had, we, I'd have to get the collect call from him.
0: <laughs> oh no.
1: Back in those days. So I mean, he was in the barracks. And so you only had a certain amount of time. And so I would get these collect calls from Drew And he would tell me, "Oh, I'm at the barracks. Going to bed early, and just gonna go shoot a game of pool, and then go down to the whatever they called it, Chow House or whatever, and eat." And so he always made it sound like he was just super bored. And then he had another mission where he was gonna get ready to go back out to sea. So there was always a story, and I was just always like feeling so like abandoned by him. And so he was living like he was single. Yeah. He was hanging out with all his all these buddies that were not married. You know, they were 18, 19. They're going down to the strip and they're riding the Virginia Beach Boulevard and hanging out with the chicks on the beach. All that was happening. While you know, Kelly's at home with the baby. So he was living up, living it up.
0: So he's out there. I'm just going to say it flat out. He's out there. He's doing everything. He's screwing girls. He's not being faithful. I probably no, the way he, I should say that.
1: No, he was not.
0: Did you know that at the time or did you find that out later? It was later. Okay.
1: It was definitely but, later.
0: But you had to suspect, right? After Once you figured all this out.
1: I definitely suspected it. I mean, I kept hoping that it wasn't true, but I definitely suspected it. But at this point, there was, I didn't even have a plan B. Like,
0: right.
1: that, my only plan was him. Yeah. So there was no backup plan. And I—it just I guess it didn't matter. I just needed to figure out my life and raise our kid. And so I just put put blinders onto it all. And he continued to go out to sea and do his missions. And that went on for, I guess, another three years. And then he got restationed. And this is when all the rumors started coming in. And he'd come back from sea. And I'd hear all the wives start chit-chatting and telling me stories about what Drew did while he was out in Italy or Amsterdam. Because they kept stopping at all these ports. That's what they do. They port themselves. And then they do whatever they do yeah he's out just living up his best screwing girls and being bad
0: yeah drinking and having a great old yeah. time yes and and meanwhile kelly's trying to hold it all together was he at least sending some money home
1: yeah i mean he i got the money it was direct deposit he was in the military so we had everything set up where he would just get his automatic i think he was making like 450 every two weeks that's how crazy like it was not a lot of money, but it was enough for us to survive on, barely. It was rough. There was a rough time during those that period. It was so bad financially, though, for us that my friend drove from South Carolina to Virginia to bring me diapers and formula because oh. I didn't even know how I was going to put a diaper or feed this baby. I had nothing. It was I was We were just that broke. So,
0: So when you met him at the pier that day, that wasn't the first time he'd met his child, right?
1: No, he was there for her birth. Okay. And then that, then I showed up and she was six months old and he hadn't seen her since her birth.
0: Asshole. Sorry. No. Some of that might've no, been is. legit, legit at sea or something like that, but
1: no, you know, was, and I don't mean to call an anybody
0: asshole. in the military an asshole that doesn't see their kids cause they're on a mission and all that. But this sounds like more like he's just an asshole.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs>
0: so, okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're on the pier she's six months old and you say, find us a place to live. Yeah. Let's go from there.
1: Well, I think we stayed in a hotel for the first couple nights and we found a little place. His friends had a little apartment. It was just a hole in the wall, roaches, you know, what, whatever you could imagine $300 a month would get you is what we were in. It was bad. We didn't even have a car.
0: I can't even imagine what 300 would get you. It was um,
1: nothing. It was nothing. It was a room, a little kitchen, and one little bedroom. It was in a disgusting bathroom.
0: I haven't told anybody this yet, and I don't know if I will have told anybody by the time this airs, so this (laughs) might be news to people. This last Saturday, I moved into my RV. I am full-time RV in it, and so this is the first recording I've done, so I spent like an hour getting everything ready. I used to be able to get everything ready in like 10 minutes, but I spent about an hour making sure that everything was set up just right. Because this is, I'm recording from my RV, everybody.
1: You go, Tom.
0: And I pay more than $300 to park my <laughs> RV.
1: <laughs> right?
0: So to think about what a $300 apartment would be, it has got to be pretty gross.
1: Now, granted, so. this was 1988, 87. Yeah, 88 at this point, 1988. Things have changed, but still $300 even back then. The worst of the worst.
0: But so that's, in 1988, what we, that's what we say yeah in 1988 i was a mormon missionary living in a tool shed in southern oh, california wow. of where i paid 350 and so did my mission companion so we paid 700 to live in a tool shed wow. in 1988 and we had to go inside their the person's house to use the bathroom because it literally was just a shed in the backyard oh. so that's well, how much so there yeah there you go you get there a little by way of comparison i love it Okay, so married, living in a roach infested
1: mm-hmm. shithole.
0: Let's keep going.
1: Again, it was just really financially hard. I could not rely on my parents because they were raising babies themselves. They, yeah. My mom had toddlers, and she didn't work. My dad did, and so they. And in addition to that, she was still raising my younger brother and sister. So she had four kids at home. My oldest yeah. brother had went off to college in Oklahoma, and he was kind of living his own life, but. So yeah, there was no relying on mom and dad. That generation did not have what this generation has. The handouts constantly and the Venmos and all that kind of stuff. So I just had to work, had to make it work. I hate admitting this. And I have so, I think, given back to the universe in so many ways and to people. But I remember having to steal diapers. I really, truly did. I had to steal to... Wow. Yeah. So I had to steal. I had to... My friend drove down. So things it was really a hard few years. Our start was not good. Yeah. At all.
0: So I'm going to ask a kind of almost cutting all the way to the end question without getting into detail. How long were you guys together before things ended?
1: We were, to, we were married 26 years,
0: 26 years.
1: We were together based, for 28. and twenty eight. had,
0: so 28 years, but so married for 26 years and this is the start. This is the start. Wow. See, this is the kind of thing when you hear a start like this, you go, well, shit, that should be the ending, too. (laughs) That's why I asked that question. That's just nuts that you somehow came out of this. I don't even know what to call it. This uh, 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 shitty period. Mm hmm. I assume things got better, or we, I don't You could, no way you spent twenty six years that miserable. Thanks so let's <laughs> let's talk about the arc. I always talk about that arc, right? Because things got better.
1: Things did get better, and when we hit that four year mark where he had been in the Navy for four years, they rotate out every four years, and so he was getting restationed, and he was going on shore duty. Okay. So this was going to be the reset. This was going to be the time where we were. Getting this fresh start in Kings Bay, Georgia, we were going to really change the way things were. He was going to get to come home every day. He was going to be able to be with the baby more at this point, four years old. And so things did get better. We moved and we found a cute little place out in the country. And it was just, in my mind's eye, that was the best part of my entire life. I had my own washer and dryer. Whoa,
0: I know. You're living large, right? I was
1: living large. I cried rivers when I got a washer and dryer. I was like, I cannot wait to do laundry because, you know, I'd ha- hauled it back and forth to laundry mats for four years with a baby in tow. You know, just little things like that were happening, and I was so excited. And Amanda had her own room, and, you know, this was a little, we had, it was more space, and it was definitely an upgrade, way an upgrade. Yeah. And we just kind of settled into life there for about four years. We stayed in, in Georgia and I got pregnant during that time. And I had my son and things were just kind of normal for that period of time. Nothing really stands out to me as anything crazy. It was just, a, it was just very normal and it was good. And
0: so you and Drew at that point, again, you don't know at this stage of the story, you don't know that he spent all that time with other women and stuff. So you had a a good marriage. It sounds like you, maybe I, I, who knows if it was a good marriage, but it was an enjoyable life.
1: From what I came from and what I had just been out of and been through, this was an enjoyable life. And I did know about, I did know about a few of the, well, I knew about one for sure at this point. Okay. I definitely knew. I knew it when I was in Virginia beach, but again, that I didn't have that plan B where was uh-huh. I going to go? I didn't really have a choice. I was up against the wall, and so I had to. I just had to let it go, ignore it. Holy! So, but yeah, the year sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, it did suck, but I pushed it way down and just let it go away, and that's what you do when you love somebody, I guess. So that's what I did, uh-huh. and onward we marched. And those, yeah, so those next year, few years were really good, and it came up time for him to uh-huh. either reenlist. Well, he wanted to get out. I wanted him to stay in, but he was wanting to get out because I was ready to travel because I, he has his options were, I think, Connecticut, Hawaii and so, another place. And I was like, I want it. Let's go. Yeah. But, you know, he was like, you're not the one going out to sea and blah, blah, blah. And so I didn't really get a, a whole lot of say in that. He wanted just to get out. So we did. We got out. We end up U-hauling it back to South Carolina. At this point, my dad has his own company. Okay. And Drew starts right away working with my dad. So same
0: kind of business, the pool and water park plumbing. stuff or Yeah, plumbing. plumbing.
1: Okay. Doing big construction jobs and things like that. So we found a cute little place and moved right in and things were going relatively well. At this point my mom and dad had found this new church. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about this one. Is it Saran Wrap or what?
1: <laughs> so this new church my mom and dad were going to was also a place where a lot of my friends that I went to school with at PTL were going to this church. So, so this I was is like,
0: PTL part two. Yes. Basically.
1: PTL has crumbled at this point. Jim Baker's in jail. It's all mm-hmm. past that time frame. We're in the 1990s now. So... I thinking, okay, well, this church seems normal. It was a normal feeling church. Nothing weird about it. It didn't seem out of place. And again, I was, I jumped right in because I was able to connect with friends and stuff that I had known from back in the PTL days. So I had a meeting. Did you and
0: Drew? Did you and Drew attend church during those six or seven years that you were away from family?
1: Only I did. But you did. Yeah.
0: Despite the cult um, that you'd been raised in and the bad taste in your mouth and everything, you still maintained mm-hmm. interesting, very interesting.
1: I did because I just didn't have anybody. And okay. So it was a I, social thing. Yeah. I felt like it was a way for me to be able to connect and, and like have some support. Yeah. And so that's, I did. I like, I loved going to church. In fact, that was something that, That was my fun. It was Wednesday night. I got to go to church. I love the potluck and all that kind of stuff. I was in.
0: (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So working for your dad and you're going to this (laughs) normal church.
1: Going to this normal church. At this point, I'm pregnant again and baby number three is on the way. Things are going relatively well. Life, there's really not a whole lot of bumps in the road at this point. It's just kind of robotic. When I look back on it, I see the complete dysfunction of it. Because I was raising three kids on my own, even though he was working, it was just like he had just kind of disconnected. He didn't want to go to church, I would beg him. There was that was one thing about our, my, my relationship that I took away that I would never ever do it Was like, this will be a boundary for sure. I always had to make deals with him. Mm. Like it was a constant deal. I was always making a deal. And so I would try to make deals for him just to go to church with me and his kids. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. But nine times out of 10, it it didn't work. So he'd just stay home and he would play video games or he would wash his car or he would watch a movie, whatever he did when we were away. It was almost like it was his time. And then I was at the church with the kids trying to do everything I could to give these kids like a normal life because- Although the dysfunction I grew up in, in that church environment, again, it's not the church, it's the people. Right. These people just were different. And so I wanted my kids to be around these people. I wanted them to be in youth group and the children's ministry. And so I just got really heavily involved at the church. I began to work with the children's ministry and I was putting on the plays and doing the production part. I was working in the nursery. I was just kind of the, one of the go-to people of the church. And there's always
0: about 20%, right? Yeah.
1: And I was And you were
0: part of that 20. Yep.
1: And at this point I was really realizing that things were very divided in our relationship. He just wasn't connecting in the way I thought he should, or the way I wanted him to. So there was a little church group called the Women of Hope, and I joined okay. the Women of Hope, and it was all the women in the church who had husbands that we were unyoked from. That's what they called it. Yeah. What does it mean uh, to be
0: unyoked? I mean, you're
1: just disconnected. One, one. Oh, feels, okay. Yeah, I know. So you're it. not
0: un. You're okay. So you're saying these are women who felt the same like that you did that their husbands exactly. were not participating in the religion that as much as you'd want them to.
1: So we would get together and pray. We would pray for our husbands. We would just, we would pray and pray and pray. We read books together. We did all this stuff. And we and it was a group of dysfunctional women who convinced ourselves that we were supposed to stay. It was the godly thing to do. And so uh-huh. I just held my head down and I marched out my godly yeah. duties to stay. Even though I was miserable, even though I was unhappy, even though I knew he was not being who he could have been for the family, I guess you want to, if you want to put it that way, that went on for years and years.
0: So, I, I guess my question at this point, I was almost expecting to hear, and maybe we're going to have another you're going to break up with Angie and marry me moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're going to stop playing video games and you're coming to church every week.
1: For some reason, I lost my power. Okay. I did. I just lost my power. I lost my voice. I just, I don't know. I feel those years were super submissive. We fought and things like that. And I remember having fights, but it was almost like, okay, there's three kids now, and this is just the way it's got to be. And where are you going to go? You have no (laughs) job, you have no education. You have no way to live this world. And and he loved that I was that person.
0: Did he lord that over you or am I making that up? Am I making that a bigger issue than it really was?
1: No, I think he definitely did. Just not being supportive and knowing that I had no choice. He was able to kind of rule the roost. And I was, uh, yeah, he definitely manipulated me in that way.
0: So let me ask it very bluntly. Mm -hmm. If you guys were in a fight or anything like that, would he say, well, where are you going to go? Did it, was it that blatant? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's extra shitty by the way. Um, Yeah.
1: He, yeah, he, I, he did get put in jail one time I was pregnant and we were in a huge fight on the way home from something and we got out of the car and he shoved me to the ground.
0: Okay. And so big asshole.
1: Yeah. And so I ran to the next door neighbors and called the police and he went to jail that night. And of course, it was after that happened, it was a big regret. And he was sorry, and it didn't, he didn't mean to. And I needed to go to court and make sure that the judge knew and said that was a whole thing. There were so many times I should have left, Tom. I think that's probably just you hear that over and over again through these stories and stuff. But there were just so many times that I should have left. And I just, I didn't have the, the means, the backbone, the balls, whatever you want to call it to, to do that. And I didn't have a family that could take me in with my three kids.
0: It's just, I've never been in that situation, and I. It's hard for me to even imagine it. But I, all I can say is, holy crap, that sounds terrifying.
1: It's it was very terrifying, and it kept me awake at night. Honestly, I remember just always worrying about it. I was always worried about it. It never left my brain that if he left me or if something happened. I was like running through the section nine housing and how would I apply and who would I go to, to talk to Like, it was always in the back of my mind. I was trying to think about like, where am I going to go with my kids? Because I just, I felt that unsure about stuff. And that was, that went on for years and years until I took control of my life.
0: Wow. I'm excited to hear that part because and I'm going to stop right now and say everyone out there, but especially women. Don't drop out of high school. Have a plan B.
1: Yes.
0: And I'm not talking about the pill. I'm talking about (laughs) a plan B for life. Because if you're going to marry another high school dropout, yeah, this is... Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to say this, Kelly, but this is the life that you can expect. And these are the worries that you can expect.
1: Exactly. Wow.
0: Oh, my gosh. Seriously, my my heart's kind of beating right now just thinking about what that would be like to just like have no idea what to do Mm -hmm. because here's the thing you know that he is okay cheating you Mm -hmm. know that he's okay physical violence hitting you or pushing you I mean what's your recourse
1: Uh, yeah I didn't have any
0: yeah You call the police, he goes to jail, and now you have nothing? That's your recourse.
1: Ugh, Mm -hmm. yeah, horrible. There were some good times splashed in there, but no one wants to hear about all that fun stuff. They want to hear about the crazy shit, so I'm giving (laughs) them all the crazy shit. You know, we had good moments. We took little vacations and family trips to the mountains, and we did those types of pumpkin patch things. And so there was that kind of stuff that was weaved in throughout the years where we would try and... would be good for a moment and then it just seemed like it always slipped back to the same dysfunction and the same shit
0: at some point this sometimes happy marriage with but Mm -hmm. mostly crappy shit going on someone had to decide it was time to end it so let's get to the end of this story i'm assuming we're having to skip 26 years of stuff but something happens towards the end.
1: Yeah. Here we were all these years later, we had learned how to function together in a way that just, I guess, worked for us. And there was definitely times throughout those years where I was screaming, I want divorce. I want a divorce. And he would be like, we're not divorcing. We're not going to divorce. We've been together all these years. You know, At this point, we had all these years under our belt. And so I went back to school, everybody got my diploma. Good. I went to real estate school. I got my real estate license and I became very successful. Nice. And so I didn't need him anymore. It's funny how the script changed and he's like, we're not going to get divorced and you're not. He couldn't lord that over my head because I made more money than he did. This happened in 2003. I mean, it didn't happen overnight, 2003, of course. 2003. Okay.
0: So you've been married 15, 16 years at this point. When okay. I got my li-
1: when I got my real estate license. But okay. let's fast forward now to 2015. And we were, we had this amazing and everybody, I have this story recorded, but anyways, we, we planned this Disney vacation. My oldest daughter had left the nest. She was on her way. My son was getting ready to go into college and my daughter was getting ready to graduate high school. So all, I'm sorry, daughter was going into high school, son going to college. Anyways, there was like milestones happening. right? And we planned this big Disney vacation, and it was a 10-day trip. And I had gotten to the point in my career where I I had finally got some leverage, and I was going to get to go on this vacation and have a good time, not pick up my phone, not work the entire time I was away. And so I was excited for this vacation. It was like everything I had ever dreamed it to be, and it was Disney. And so we went on this trip. And it was amazing. We had a a great time and we got home from that trip and nothing weird happened. We didn't fight. There was no anything. But when we got back from the trip, I was packing to go to Austin, Texas, because I had just joined this firm. They brought me on. They recruited me. They were paying for me to go to this big mega camp where all these big agents think and grow businesses. And I was calling it my empire. Mm-hmm. And I was getting ready to go do this. Like I, the day after we got back from Disney, I was, I had to pack and get on a plane. Yep. And this was also my, my, my second time flying. So I just felt like a big girl. I was feeling big girl vibes. <laughs> I was having this big girl life. I was feeling like a boss and I was just, I was rocking it. I was loving the way I, things were going. And I felt like I'm getting the kids off to college and stuff that Drew and I could maybe work on our marriage. And maybe there was going to be a time because I, we, I would talk about it throughout the years. When are we going to get to be together? When are we? Kelly, just hold your head down. We got to work. We got to get the kids to college. We'll, we got us later, our whole lives. So I just kind of thought that's the way it was going to be. Got back from this. Anyways, he walked out of the room. We got into a fight about something while I was packing. He walks in somber as a statue and he looks at me and he goes, I want a divorce. And I said, you want a, you want a divorce? And he goes, yeah, I, I, I want a divorce. I'm done. I'm like, fuck you. I literally, that night he slept in the other room. I jumped on my plane the next day and I went to Austin, Texas. And the one thing that he said to me before he left that room, though, he said, I want a divorce and you can go build your fucking empire. Let
0: me stop you and ask for just a second, though, because I asked you just a couple of minutes ago if he lorded it over you. Did you, let's be honest, did you ever Mm -hmm. say to him, I make so much more than you? I did, did you were you an asshole?
1: I turned into one. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I, you I took admit my, that. I took, at took least, my power so. back. I guess I at some point, yeah, along the way, when I realized my capability, when I realized I didn't need him, is when he was the one wanting to hang on more to me. So like the roles had kind of switched. Right. Flipped, flip flip flopped. Wasn't really going to church anymore because I was working on Sundays. All that kind of fell away. And Mm -hmm. so I was just super independent. But on the flip side of it, I was also like helping support my family. We were able to buy my kids cars when they graduated. They were got everything they ever dreamed of. There was nothing we couldn't do. You know, we could remodel our bathroom if we wanted to. We could redo the whole anything we wanted to do. I we could. And he made a great income, too. So together it was we were unstoppable. Monetarily.
0: So he says, I'm out and you say, fuck you. And Mm -hmm. you have a horrible time in Austin.
1: I had a horrible time in Austin and I, I was with my daughter because that's where she lived, my oldest daughter, and she didn't know a thing about this. So She just knew it was get back from Disney and she was excited she was going to get her mom for a couple of days and kind of just moped and cried and was really sad that this was like happening because he wouldn't answer my calls. Like at this point, he had just kind of shut down completely from me, like mm-hmm. completely just shut down. And that confused me, really confused me. And jump forward. So I get back from this trip and he's just not changing his mind. Like uh-huh. I didn't come home to roses and a card or anything like that. It was just like, he was just living his own world and his own life. He was still in the other bedroom. He had his own room. He was not in the master room. And we played house like that for probably a good three or four months. He went to work. I went to work. We came home. We just kind of coexisted.
0: You have meals and- together or anything, or was it just waving in the hall saying, Hey, see you later?
1: Pretty much. He took care of himself and fended for himself. And I fended for myself. And I also it took that I was taken full advantage of this time as well, because now that he wasn't controlling me and he doesn't want to be with me, I'm now going out because that was something else I left out of the story was he would never allow me to do things. I couldn't go on girl trips. I couldn't go for a drink after work. Like anything like that was like banned. Women who were married didn't do those kinds of things. So he didn't want to be with me. I was out at the bar every night. I was drinking with my friends. I was going on girls trips. Like he wasn't caring. And that was when I really realized he's, he's serious. Because yeah. I would come home and I would think he'd want to know where I was. He'd never even asked. No phone calls, nothing. So it was now just, was that was, was it. That was done. It was just done. And so. Wow. I moved out and he wanted to sell the house and I was, I wanted to keep the house, but anyways, we ended up selling and I bought my house and he bought his house. And really that's kind of, I could say we could leave it there, but during the divorce, because you all probably want to know the good stuff. What about the divorce? How did that <laughs> Yeah, happen? we want to
0: hear about the divorce.
1: Well, he again was able to use and manipulate me with a lot of, um, he was very calm during this time. Really, really calm. he If I wanted something, if I would scream about something or I'd be mad about something, he'd be like, "It's you can have it. There's no point in fighting about this, Kelly. So he wanted to keep everything very amicable where I was just in, I think, complete denial that all this was actually even happening. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point when one of my friends said, you need to go see an, a divorce attorney. You have to go see a, a divorce attorney because Drew was like, we'll do it on our own. I've already researched it we can do this by ourselves. We can split everything up. I'm not going to try to do you wrong. And at this point I'm thinking, I don't want him taking my stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it probably would be best just to split off. He can take his job. I'll keep my career and chug along because there really wasn't anything he could give me.
0: Right. Does
1: that make sense? Sure. So I went to go see this divorce attorney just for some guidance. And I remember telling her the story of what had happened and how it it all happened. And I was crying during this consultation and I'll never forget after I was done, she sat back in her chair, looked me dead in the eyes. And she said, we need to hire a private investigator. And I said, why? She said, Kelly, I've been doing this for 28 years. And I'm going to tell you right now, no man walks home from a 10 day vacation and looks their wife in the eye and says, I want a divorce unless they have somebody already on the sidelines. And I said, no, he ain't doing that. I know where he's at. I just didn't want to believe that. And so I was actually kind of quite offended. That was her plan A. There wasn't even a plan B. (laughs) That was the start. We needed a private investigator. And I just wasn't going to pay the money for that. And I just ignored it. Went Went about my way and we ended up, doing a divorce through the courts on our own, settling just the two of us.
0: Which as you, I'm a big fan of that with com. So yeah. how, here we are, this was 2015? 2015. 2015. So we're here seven years later, six, seven years later.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Any regrets about how you did it? Oh, let's, let's hear those.
1: So many. Well, I wish I would have hired that private investigator truly. Because I, I would have caught him cheating. He did have a girlfriend. He absolutely did. God knows for how long this had been going on. But he was working out of town. See, he had a job that he, but he drove every day. He came, he got up at 4.30 and he drove home. He got home at seven thirty eight o'clock every night. And his mm-hmm. commute was like two hours. So I was like, I, he ain't got time for a girlfriend. But yeah, he yeah. did. Yeah, he did. He had plenty of time for a girlfriend. So of course the girl he was cheating with me is one one of the girls he worked with and I didn't find this out until December of 2015. Amanda came home, my daughter came home from from Austin for Christmas that year. I had I was I had moved out. We were living I was living with a friend and he was in the house. In that Christmas of 2015, this happened in August. So Christmas of 2015, she came home. We came together that Christmas for a family they like a family christmas we uh-huh. pretended like and we the played house one. with each other the last one and it was that trip they had went to the gun range to go fire their guns because he was a he started becoming guns obsessed along the way but they went to the gun range and amanda later it was a couple of years later she told me that it was in that moment he had told her he had a girlfriend You know, everything comes out after the fact. So it is important to tell you I'm seven years later, but the facts didn't come out until years later. Like the pack, the facts started to pour out after the fact. And I was made to be the crazy one. I was out to be the problem. I was made out to be all the issues that could have ever went wrong in this relationship with every finger pointed directly at me. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't even realize that my disrespectful kids were so disrespectful to me because Their dad was grooming them behind closed doors that I was crazy and that I had all these issues. And he had a plan. He had a five-year plan that my son was involved in that he was leaving me. My son hated me until recently. Like, we're working on our relationship. And he's in therapy. This is a sociopath that I was married to. He is a fucking sociopath.
0: When he said, I'm out and I'm done in 2015, was that the culmination of the five-year plan? He'd been working on it since 2010? Yep. And your son, who at that time was how old? 17. So since he was 12 years old, dad's been Mm -hmm. grooming him.
1: And my youngest. That
0: that Kelly's nuts.
1: Wow. And that he was going to get them out of there and just hang tight and it's going to be okay and... Yeah, he had this whole thing that, you know, and again, it all came out later that this was all happening. And so it took me, I'll jump right to 2016. I fell into a horrible depression. I was, it was August or September of 2016. And I was, we were a year into this and we were coming up on the heels of the holidays. And I realized at this point, I knew about the girlfriend and all that. And there was not going to be a Christmas this year. There was not going to be a gathering of us coming together as a family. Like this was done. And I just didn't even know how to handle that. The holidays and stuff were such an amazing time for us. And we had a lot of big events that always came. We had the biggest Halloween party you could ever imagine that was gone. My birthday, we always rented a big mountain house. When the whole family came, we did bonfires and the Biltmore house and all that's gone. Thanksgiving was a huge deal. We always hosted it and just was made a big family affair of it. Gone. Christmas is coming. I'm living in this fucking house that I hate. I don't even want to put up a tree. I just fell into this the pits. Yep. Of despair. I've been there. Bad. Yeah. And I didn't even want to live, and so I tried to commit suicide. Oh. I ended up in the hospital for two days. They couldn't pump my stomach because everything was absorbed. So all I could do was watch my liver levels. And I went to a I went to a mental hospital for fifth for I'm sorry not 15 years <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: for about five weeks. Oh, wow. But it was a while. Yeah, I was there for a while and I just had to process everything. And I just, I think when I look back on those years, I just feel so it, it I think correlates and crumbles together, which I don't know where I, the line is blurred between my mom and dad, not caring about me and then being abandoned by him. It was just a really tough time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if we can, if I can recap, so 2015, you're told we're done by 2016, a year and a few months after that, Mm -hmm. you're in this severe depression as you're coming up on the holidays. Yeah. You attempt suicide and thank God that was unsuccessful. You end up in a hospital, a psychiatric hospital for four or five weeks to, and I assume it's intense therapy along with medication Mm -hmm. and other treatments to bring you out of the depression and help you cope with things. In the meantime, during this period, you have three kids, three and all three of them are, have they all been turned against you at this point?
1: They just the, the two younger ones, my, the daughter, the one that I took to the pier, the one that Mm -hmm. he disconnected to, she, her and I bond is just, there's just something magical about it. And she's all team mom and she has kind of, she grew up and she was the oldest and she witnessed a lot of stuff. So she was always like, mom, it's not, it's not just you. I definitely had my ownership, but the two younger kids, yeah, pretty much. And I think it was my letter that I left that my two younger kids got to read and they saw exactly what was going on and who I was and how I felt and the reason why I was doing what I was doing and it oh, wasn't so when you
0: say your letter you mean suicide note? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Like I felt like
1: that was the only way to be heard. I was going to get I was going to get heard and I was tired of the pain, it hurt to breathe. It really did. It just hurt to it just hurt to breathe. And so that was going to be my way of them being done with me number one and just letting them know who he was and what he did. And wow. that's when everything really truly changed. And when I came out of that, that, that was the divorce. Okay. The crazy Mm -hmm. stuff truly was just all the stuff that we just talked about for almost two hours. The divorce was just (laughs) it. He had his girlfriend, he had his plan and he fucking left. This now turned into what is Kelly going to do to survive? How is Kelly going to turn her life around? Like what, who is Kelly?
0: I was going to say, let's get to the glow up.
1: The glow up happened when I got out of the hospital. I think I took a couple months to process just, you know, why I was here and what my purpose was and understand all the things that I'd never truly took time to understand about me and and my purpose. I knew I was doing great and I was so proud of myself. I'd made this amazing real estate career happen and I was thriving in those types of areas, but just emotionally, I was just dead. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't, I didn't want to look to religion at this point. Religion was not an option for me. The church had let me down. The church had disappointed me. I already knew what that looked like. I knew what what that would be if I went there. So I didn't turn to a preacher or, you know, a a minister or anything like that for counseling. I needed something more. And I read a book and it was called Broken Open by Elizabeth Lesser. And this book changed my entire life. What it taught me was just about the universe and karmatic agreements and things that I had never heard before. Like I started hearing these things and I started like looking at life through a different lens and realizing that it wasn't, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I had my fair share of fault for sure in this marriage, but there's a monster in everyone, I guess you can kind of say, and he, his monster was his monster and I was mm-hmm. no longer going to carry on the burden of his monster. I needed to get my monster out of me. I wanted mine gone. And so that book led to another book and another book. And before I knew it, I was on this spiritual journey. And I just became, I started to find things that were different and healing to me. Like I, I found sage and I began to sage my home and sage my, my body. I started, I found lavender oils and different types of just meditation and, calming and soothing things Mm -hmm. that just helped me. Again, reading books, listening to to calming music, just finding my center and learning about taking control of my emotions.
0: And part of that is, of course, not relying on somebody else to provide your happiness and your your security and your comfort. That's all got to be from within.
1: It has to come from within. And when it doesn't, devastation happens. As unhappy as I was and all the kinds of things I could sit here and say, like, I, it wasn't even about the divorce. It really became, it, it, when it stopped being about him, that's when it changed because I it wasn't about him anymore. I didn't care about that part. It was the loss that was my, that, that the loss is what, what hurt. It did, not losing him, just losing everything. And so I had to come to grips with that. And I had to really take a long time to process. And my daughter would love to tell you, I had 45,000 boxes here, and I began to unpack them quite literally. And I began to shed the layers of my life that I had just lost. Mm-hmm. And I got rid of everything. I didn't want anything my memories of my kids and stuff, but like the things, the stuff, I just let it all go. And so I just let everything go, and I started to just focus on my well being. I buy myself flowers. I would buy nice. myself champagne on Friday. I would just start taking care of me. And I began to just love myself. Yeah, that's when my that's when my glow up happened. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I just I found myself finding different passions at work and one door after the next has opened. Like when I started when I really just took the time to care about what was important to me, it was amazing the opportunities that presented themselves.
0: Good for you. I love hearing stuff like that. But divorce sucks. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm in the divorce business, but divorce sucks. Of course, at our divorce, we try to make it suck a little less, but it still sucks. Here we are now, six, seven years after what sounds awful. Yeah,
1: um, it just was. horrible.
0: <laughs> and you're doing well, your kids are doing well, you're working with... Mm-hmm counselors and therapists to rebuild relationships with both your mom and your kids. Sounds like it's a therapy sandwich, right? I guess for me, and it's a really exciting time because one of the things we haven't talked about is I know that you, one of part of your glow up is that you're helping other people through your own podcast. I am. Why don't you just take a minute. Okay. Tell us about your podcast and what's the purpose. What is it?
1: Well, thank you. I just decided I need to take my story and share it because People saw Kelly, you know, they saw me on this stage. And then my podcast is called Behind the Curtain Project. And kind of the premise of it is that we live our, we tend to live our lives on a stage where people see us and social media and different social networks and different groups and clubs and social events that we're at. They see this well-maintained, got it all together, beautiful house, cars, the kids got it all life. And then all of a sudden it just crumbles and goes away and we hide behind those curtains. We don't want no one to know that. And so I wanted to just like pull the curtains back and say, here you go. Let's take a look at this because I promise you I'm not the only one out there suffering or hurting or going through something like this. And I and if we can share our stories, it could be somebody else's salvation. And that was my thought behind if I did this podcast and I start shining some light on some different stories, not just divorce, but alcoholism and all kinds of stuff that I dealt with as a kid and that people just deal with on a daily basis where they feel kind of so alone or they have to like hide behind a a curtain or behind closed doors and they are so alone. I, I wanted to have a platform to be able to just let people come on and have a a healing, a healing story. So I've had a couple of really great podcasts about addiction and so many people have reached out and they were so grateful for it. So
0: is it a, is it an interview show kind of like this where you have guests come on or is it just you talking about your experience?
1: No, I have. My first podcast was my whole story. It's five, 30 minute episodes. So it's two and a half hours long. And I get into the nitty gritty of two thousand and fifteen and beyond. Like I, that's where I start my stories in two thousand and fifteen. No one got to hear the pre story; that was just me and my daughter. Kind of was interviewed me. Oh wow! Because she was there, you know, yeah. she remembered all of that. And then every all of them sense is I interview people.
0: Okay, and it's called Behind the Curtain Project. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go listen at least to the first five episodes. I want to hear some of the nitty gritty that we weren't able to get to today. I encourage everybody to go listen to that. So your kids, obviously your daughter and you have this amazing relationship. Your other two kids, not as wonderful, but it sounds like you're working on it.
1: Mm -hmm. Things Um, are way better.
0: Because I'm glad to hear that. What about their relationship with their dad?
1: Yeah. Karma's a bitch. It really, <laughs> really is. I have to say karma definitely comes back to, to get you. And I wondered too, like, what was, why, what would I do? that was so bad for that. If that was my karma, they have seen the true Drew. They have got to see the true Drew. They've got to see him cheating on his girlfriend. They've got to see and witness. He's, he has acted out. In the same way that he acted out when they were 12 and 13 and 14, using them as a therapist, thinking they're their best friend instead of being a, he's a good dad. He loves his kids and my kids love him. So I don't want that to get twisted, but they have definitely seen who he is.
0: Which will help as you build, rebuild the relationship with the younger two, right? It's, they understand that he groomed them and that he
1: manipulated them. Like, oh mom, we didn't know. My son's very, Yeah. My son's very closed. He's very private. And uh, we went to the beach a couple months back and he doesn't talk about me to his dad and and vice versa. So he says, but you know, I was sharing something with him and he said, mom, I just want you to know you're, I'm so proud of you and how far you've come. And I don't talk about dad and I'm not trying to bash him, but he's, he never, he's never looked inside himself. He just moved straight on. He's never slowed down Enough to do a self-evaluation or to even find out why he ticks the way he ticks. Mom, you're okay. You just keep doing you and dad just needs to deal with the dad. What
0: more could you ask? Nothing. That's perfect. So now that you've been to the depths of hell more than Mm -hmm. once, it sounds like, and come out on top, that's a great glow up story because by the way, your glow up story is a true glow up. It's not just that you've made money. It's not just that you're successful. It's that you found yourself and you Mm -hmm. figured out yourself. That is the true glow up as far as I'm concerned.
1: I completely Um, agree. Thank you.
0: But now that you're there, you're on top. And by the way, even if you're broke, you're on top because Mm -hmm. you found yourself. You've got a bunch of people listening to this that probably are going, I want to be like Kelly. So (laughs) What's your advice?
1: I just would say if you're feeling broken and devastated and don't know what to do is just kind of change the lens in what you're looking at, what you're looking through. If you can just change the lens and realize that most of what happens to us bad in life is never even about us. I had to dig deep, but I have found grace and forgiveness and almost empathy for Drew on certain levels because I've had to realize that he must be kind of tortured himself. Mm -hmm. And so come just kind of come from a place of empathy, if possible, that really lifts and relieves you of the burden of carrying the pain and the struggle and stuff. And so that's, I just would just encourage people to lift that burden on, let it go and realize that it probably is not even about you. It's, it's about their own issues. And find a way to feel sorry. Or again, the empathy is where I would leave it.
0: I think that's great. And being empathetic does not being weak.
1: No, absolutely not. And you can have boundaries with empathy and all that kind of stuff. Put those in place for yourself for your insanity's sake. But, you know, letting go of the torture of the divorce for me was all the things that I fucked up and all the ways that I did it and all the ways I was wrong and all the things. And that came through self-discovery. That came through the self-discovery phase, but I didn't stay there. Yeah, I owned what I did. I owned the things that I realized, but then I also realized why I was doing some of the things I was doing. And I just, I really did. I started breaking it down piece by piece and deconstructing it. And once it was deconstructed, it was a whole fucking big pile of bricks. And that gave me a brand new canvas and I started to rebuild.
0: You're an inspiration, Kelly.
1: Thank you.
0: So, we're going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm, I'm absolutely in awe. Oh,
1: thank so, you. I appreciate you having me.
0: Wow. To go from high school dropout to mega successful real estate broker is more than amazing, it's inspirational. And what a great message! Change your lens to see life from a different perspective. I know I say this every week, but I truly enjoyed meeting Kelly. She's beautiful inside and out. I wish her and her family all the best as they continue to repair their relationships and move forward with their lives. Thanks for listening. I hope you have an amazing week. Bye. Divorce doesn't have to be complicated. Our Divorce.com's three-step procedure provides a simple and affordable process that you can follow at your own pace.
1: Save thousands by visiting OurDivorce.com today.